You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Did you really say after last night's match that you're gonna uh, F-word Croatia? Yeah, great question. And yeah, I did. Aren't New Jersey and Philly basically the same thing, though? That is the most insulting thing. <laughs> you know, Bruff is probably one of the most grumpiest individuals I've been around. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Uh, Is the live stream actually going to start soon? There it is. There we are. We're on camera on the Sportsnet Now app. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason, tell the fine people more about Kintech. Oh, Kintech. Yes, Kintech. Footwear mean, and orthotics. They have the 1,500 five-star Google reviews. I think you just you just said it all. No, they, there's they more. Are, they are Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over, you got it, 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. It's true. Uh, big show ahead on a Friday. Going to kick off our guest list at 7 o'clock with Brady Henderson, ESPN NFL Nation. The Seahawks are back in action this weekend after a bye last week, following, of course, their loss to the Buccaneers in Munich. We'll talk to Brady about that. Look ahead to the Raiders game this weekend. You've made your first mistake of the day because Peter Galindo is going to join us at 630. Oh, hey, Peter's been bumped up from 730 to 630. Yeah, I told you maybe yeah. three, How four many times, times do you think you told Halford? At least four times At least this four times. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, 630. Got it. For so sure, 630. Yeah. Peter going to uh-huh. be on. And, and your name is yeah. uh, Andy? Is <laughs> it? Up in here. Doot, 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 doot. So oh, I guess Peter. I'm not on camera. People can't see me. <laughs> People cannot see you. <laughs> So 6.30 is Peter Galindo. You got it. In, he's in Qatar, yes. which is where the World Cup is being held, I've been told. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> I know. I'm on top of things. 6.30, Peter Galindo is going to join us from Qatar. Uh, we're on match day minus two for Canada. There was a bunch of action this morning uh, from Qatar already. We'll get to that in the Certainteed Soccer Report in just a moment. At 7 o'clock, Brady Henderson's going to join us. You already know what he's going to talk about. 8 o'clock, it's the Moj, Bob the Moj Marjanovic. The CFL season is all wrapped up. Grey Cup was last weekend. We can look back on whatever we need to look back on with Moj, and then we can look ahead to this weekend in the NFL. We can go back over yesterday's Thanksgiving games as well. We can talk about whatever we want with Moj. It's true. We have creative license to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is a big day at the World Cup. Wales and Iran is in the books. Iran, after getting thrashed in the opener 6-2 to England, uh, they defeat Wales this morning. In, a, in a, a result that I imagine a lot of people waking up to will be taken a bit by surprise given how lopsided the first game was. Senegal and Qatar is underway right now. Ecuador and the Netherlands. And then the big one at 11 a.m., England, USA. I mention this because we're going to be doing a grand prize giveaway for tickets to today's game, tickets to Argentina, Mexico, tickets to the next Canadian house, gift cards to the Hollywood Theater, gift cards to Dank Mart, and free burgers from the Golden Air Burger Truck. Do you also realize that we are facing a, I don't know if it's a likelihood or a strong possibility that Iran could be playing the U.S. for a spot in the round of 16? Yes, the geopolitical axis that is this group, it could really go nuts on the final day. Mm-hmm. Because do you know the geography of Qatar and Saudi Arabia and Iran? If it, oh, how, uh, many, how many of you guys right now could desert. like... 
who could, could look at a map and go, that's Qatar, that's Saudi Arabia, that's Iran. No. Could you do it? Could you? Could you? That's Bahrain. Can you? Yeah, because I just looked at it. Oh, okay. I might be able to get okay, Qatar. Okay, before you just looked at it, though. No, I, I, yeah, I knew the general, I knew the general okay. idea. So well, you got, you're better than me, So then. So you got Qatar right in the middle, mm-hmm. and then to the west of them, you got Saudi Arabia, and obviously a big country, and then... To the east of Qatar, you got the Persian Gulf. Okay. And then on the other side of the Persian Gulf is Iran, uh, a very large country. So Qatar is essentially stuck in the middle, and that's why they're, for the most part, although they've had a few issues here and there, for the most part, their foreign policy has been, we're friends with everyone. Like, we want, we don't... We don't want. We're just a. Please, we're just. Please a, don't give us any problems. We're, we're we're just a little guy here. Like they're friends with the with the U.S. too, yeah. right? Like there there are American bases in Qatar, uh, so it is all just like very complicated, the way it's going. And it's interesting that obviously Qatar has been a big story, hosting this World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, Iran has been. I think one of the most interesting stories, just the the pressure that these players are under from opposing factions, whether it's their the government and the people that support the government versus the people that are protesting the government and would like the soccer players to show support for them. They really are between a rock and a hard place. And I think that showed up in their loss to England. Like mm-hmm. they were just all over the map. Of course, they didn't sing the anthem in that one. They were getting they were getting booed by people. They, they you know, a former teammate of theirs was just arrested mm-hmm. for criticizing the government. So how do you think they went into this match against Wales? Probably pretty motivated not to lose again, right? Yeah. So they come out and they and they actually mouthed the words to the anthem. Uh, I don't think it was enthusiastic, but they did it. I bet some things were said to them ahead of that match. So they go out and they beat Wales. And Saudi Arabia, they've also been a bit of an element at this World Cup. They pulled off one of the biggest uh, World Cup upsets in World Cup history when they took out Argentina. And then you mentioned Qatar. Qatar, of course, is in action right now. And Qatar, of course, is 45 minutes away from suffering its second group stage loss, which would eliminate them from the tournament. And we said we wonder how the nation and the football fans in the country will react once their national team is basically out after two games. So uh, we are still in the midst of what's happening, believe it or not. Uh, There are 14 NBA games, 14 NHL games. We're going to do our play now locks of the week today. We're also going to do Ask Us Anything Friday because this is a Friday and we are all about traditions here on the Halford and Bruff Show. So working in reverse on the guests, 8 o'clock, it's Moj. 7 o'clock, it's Brady Henderson. 6.30, it's Peter Galindo. Uh, that's what's happening on the program today. Gentlemen, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What happened? Before we get into everything, we should continue along the lines of this soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed pro all the way so Jason ran the 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 biggest result of the morning and the only result of the morning to be fair thus far Iran 2-0 winners over Wales in Qatar at the World Cup so that puts Iran right back in the thick 
of potential qualifying out of the group, it really knocks Wales back. I mean, they're really up against it. I suppose yeah. with a win in the final game over England, they will still be in the mix on four points. But today was a devastating loss for Welsh. Supporters had their keeper sent off. All the action in this match happened extremely late. The Welsh keeper was sent off, first red card of the World Cup, in the 86th minute on a foul outside his penalty area. Uh, Iran then scored its two goals in added time after the 90. So it was very late drama in Qatar. But again, as we mentioned, Iran gets its first win of the tournament. They now go to one and one, three points. Uh, tied for England right now, top of the group with three points. But England, of course, plays U.S. today at 11. So Wales is at that bottom of the group there. Wales is on they one, point, one point. And it seems very unlikely that they're going to advance because they're going to need to beat England. Now, I guess it's possible. This is a lot of math to do in my head. You don't have to. That if England beats the Americans today, then the Americans will also be on one point. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it's all going to work out. Right now, the two teams that play this morning, Iran and Wales, are American fans. That's how that works. They are rooting for the U.S. to do something against England because what you don't want right now is England to run away with it because the group is all still much to play for. Everyone's going to have something going into that final day. So that's how that's going to play. And then, of course, Iran will not be U.S. fans Mm -hmm. uh, right after, of course, because they're going to probably be playing for the second spot in the group if all goes according as we think. Um, There is a game on right now, Senegal and Qatar. Senegal is looking to get the first victory for Africa in this World Cup. It was a rough day yesterday for the Confederation. Really, the two biggest disappointments in the early stages right now, unfortunately, have been CONCACAF in large part because Costa Rica got embarrassed on the on the national stage. Right. And then uh, Africa, which sent five teams to the World Cup with aspirations of one of them maybe breaking through, uh, just had a really rough go on all of their first games. The only really results that they got were Tunisia and Morocco getting nil-nil draws. Well, CONCACAF so, was winless as well. Right. CONCACAF sent one less team. You would almost say that the, the the real story of CONCACAF right now was Canada against Belgium because that was the biggest surprise of them all. But the biggest surprise of the tournament, if we're going to talk about it as a big picture entity, has been the Asian Confederation because the Saudis scored that <laughs> memorable upset against the Argentinians. And then Japan went out and upset Germany. So you've got two... And Iran today. Yeah. So, you've, I mean, the results that they've gotten so far have actually been the brightest... I would say probably the brightest confederation at this tournament. Uh, okay, so that is the soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed. The pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed pro all the way. Uh, we should do some hockey stuff. We've been, we've been very, very... I don't want to say guilty because I take... I take no guilt. I take. I don't feel bad at all about the amount of international football we've been doing. But uh, we should touch base on the Vancouver Canucks. This is Sportsnet 650. This is your home of the Canucks. The Canucks, interestingly enough, stayed in Denver overnight after their 4-3 win against the Colorado Avalanche on Wednesday night. Then got an early call Thursday morning and flew into Vegas on Thursday morning, Jason. I think last night was their night to have a party. I think last night was if you're going to have your rookie party, um, that was the one. So I don't know how they're feeling right now in this immediate moment. Hopefully asleep. Uh, yeah, they might. Yeah, they're probably asleep. But uh, so they're. I assume they're going to practice today at at some at some point. But I bet yeah. they had a big night last night. They are going to practice today. Time and media availability still to be determined. And then, of course, the games are on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Saturday in Vegas against the Golden Knights. Sunday 
in San Jose against the Sharks. Uh, there's really one big question about all of this, and I think, and it's how are they going to handle the goaltending? Maybe not even just in this back-to-back, but moving forward, because as we know, Spencer Martin, despite very average numbers in terms of save percentage and whatever else, is getting wins for this team, whereas Thatcher Demko isn't. You know, I see these as equally tough games. And you might be like, what are you, out of your mind? San Jose isn't as good as Vegas. Yeah, but they'll be playing on the second of a back-to-back in San Jose against a Sharks team that has actually done okay recently. They're scoring some goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> so this is your trip. <laughs> you go Wednesday, uh, or was it Tuesday? Wednesday. Wednesday was the game in uh, Wednesday Denver. was the game in, in Colorado, uh, and you, you win that game. And then you stay over in Denver, and then you fly to Vegas the next day, and you probably have something on that night, right? American Thanksgiving. American Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe watch some football, have a good night out with the boys, right? Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Friday you practice, and then Saturday you got to play Vegas, a very good team and a very important game for the Vancouver Canucks, who will be looking to make up for what happened just a few days ago at Rogers Arena when they blew that 4-2 lead in the third period. One of their many blown leads. This season, so they got to play Vegas, and then right with with all that in the rearview mirror, then they got to go to San Jose. You got to get on another plane, go to San Jose, and when you're tired, you got to play a Sharks team that you'll be. Even if this isn't fair, you'll be expected to beat. Sure, you're a desperate team. Sharks are bad. The Sharks are bad. The Sharks didn't go into this season with the expectations that the Vancouver Canucks did. Uh, you might also. It is very possible that you're playing the last game for your coach. It we'll is see. very, very possible. Yeah. That, wasn't that your prediction? I'm just, I'm just trying to. Uh... Mine was the, yeah, mine was basically the end of November, beginning of December. Was that Rick Talk would be the new head coach yeah. of the Vancouver Canucks? When, so. when they come back home for, it's not like a straight home stand, but I don't think they leave the time zone very often for the next month. No, I think this next, the, put it this way, the next 48 hours, 72 hours over the weekend are going to be very telling for this Canucks team. Because the season, I don't want to say it's hanging in the balance, but to a certain degree, it is. Uh, We are now past American Thanksgiving, and you all know the statistic out there, how flawed it is or not, roughly 75% of teams that are in a playoff spot at American Thanksgiving go on to make the playoffs. Here's a spoiler, without looking at the standings. The Canucks are not in a playoff spot right now, and they need to try and rack up victories, and they need to try and do things a touch differently. And we're going to see if Bruce Boudreaux, the under-fire head coach, will continue to do things differently. One of the things that we mentioned a couple times uh, following Wednesday's 4-3 win over the Avs in Denver was using Pedersen in that matchup, shutdown, defensive role. And it's been written about a lot. There's about five or six different articles floating around the internet as one of the big takeaways from Wednesday. We've talked about it exclusively. The big question for me now Will he go back to it again? Because right on Saturday well, night, there's another good challenge. Yep. Can I ask a question that precedes that question? Did he actually chase that matchup? Or well, was that matchup? He was on the road, so he didn't. I mean, he, yeah. yeah. Was that matchup given to him by Jared Bednar, Fair the head coach of the Colorado Avalanche, and Bruce didn't just didn't fight it? Sure. That's fair to say. That could be an interpretation of it. Mm. And if that's the case, uh, very curious to see what happens on Saturday, because as everybody knows... <laughs> All the Canucks fans are like, thank you, Jared Bender. Yeah, <laughs> well, you. and now it might be thank you, Bruce Cassidy, depending on what happens on Saturday, because there's another great uh, matchup for Pedersen there. In Against J- the Eichel line. In Jack Eichel. That's, yeah. And that's, again, to reiterate what we were talking about yesterday, um, 
this is an opportunity to put Pedersen up against the creme de la creme, best of the best, and quite honestly, the guys he's going to need to not just battle against, but at times out-battle if the Canucks have any aspirations of being a player in the Western Conference. Nathan McKinnon, Colorado Avalanche, defending Stanley Cup champions. Jack Eichel, Vegas Golden Knights, Stanley Cup aspirations. Connor McDavid, Edmonton Oilers, Stanley Cup aspirations. That's the That could end up being a holy trinity of guys that you got to deal with, and I know I'm missing countless others, but the reality is if there's one real bright spot from this season, it's been Elias Pettersson. He has been about as good. Really, I don't know if you could have asked at this stage any more out of Pettersson, given what he's given the team this year. The scoring is there. I think he's looked engaged. He's looked strong. I think his defensive play has been solid. His reads have been solid. He made a, he made a kick save the other night in trying valiantly to stop a goal. He's been excellent in right. goal. He played in net. He's, so he's, he's really kind of done it all. And I think there has to be, from the coaching staff, that acknowledgement of, okay, we got our horse. Ride him. That's a, you, you'd appreciate that. that we'll ride a horse. Yeah. Well, in the last Vegas game, it was Elias Pettersson against William Carlson, mm-hmm. which is not their first line. No, that's Marcia So Carlson and Smith. Good right. line. While uh, Horvat's line with Miller got uh, Jack Eichel, Mark Stone. And Shenandler Wrong. And Shenandler Stevenson. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know how that went in the end. Not great. Right? And if I'm Bruce Cassidy, I'm chasing probably those exact same matchups. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it all plays out. We'll see. Bruce doesn't never strikes me really as like a like a hardcore matchup coach where he's just like, okay, no, you're off the ice. No, no, okay, you go back on the ice. Okay, sure. you're on. Like just constantly chasing. Um, like some some coaches do that. Bruce doesn't seem doesn't really seem like that type of coach. Now. When he's at home, he's going to get the matchups that he wants because he's got last last change. But um, that is definitely something to look out for right now because that was probably – there were two main po- talking points after uh, the Colorado game. Mm-hmm. One was the goaltending. Who should they start in Vegas? How should they deploy their goaltenders over the weekend? I heard some people even saying, like, do you go Spencer Martin back-to-back? And, yeah. And to that, I yeah, say, you no, you're out of your mind if you do that because oh. it's not like Spencer Martin – has been so, so good. He's just got incredible run support. And the other one was what we talked about with um, Pedersen and who his line matches up against. Um, we do want to mention that Borea Salming passed away yesterday. And uh, my first reaction was one of sadness. and But obviously, right? It's a, it's a sad story. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second reaction was one of gratitude that Salming was able to experience that tribute not too long ago in Toronto. Yeah. That was such a touching tribute that I think there were people that, young, younger people that don't remember Salming, younger people that aren't Leafs fans that don't remember Salming, that watched that tribute and learned a lot and had an emotional experience watching that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was, I, I guess jarring is the word that I would use for a lot of people because of the the gravity of it all. Because I think a lot of people at that stage only realized how advanced uh, Borea Selming's ALS was. And I think a lot of people 
just kind of came to the realization in the moment that this might be the last time that they get to see Borea Salming publicly. It was mm-hmm. all of it wrapped into one, and it made for an extremely emotional moment. And if you see the outpouring of emotion right now, um, it's one of those, it's a sad moment because we've gone through this quite a bit over the last couple of years. Uh, Mike Bossy, Clark Gillies, a bunch of other players. I think what it, it's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. It, these players. They're reaching were, that age. Well, yeah, and they're yeah. signatures and staples of a generation that is now a, a lot older, uh, is now looking back on its teenage and youth 20 or 30 years in the rear view and looking back on it with fondness. And it was also a time where the NHL was growing in a way that was different from the original six. And, you know, it was a very small club. Like the one thing with Salming, obviously, is that he broke down barriers for a lot of European players, in particular the Swedes. Let's play some Daryl Sittler talking about the recent ceremony and how sad the passing of Borea Salming is. It was almost like those things were meant to be and uh here we are a number of days later and he's passed away it was obviously quick um i just feel that anybody who saw boria when he came to town uh a week and a half ago were touched by you know his presence for sure and uh i think you couldn't have written the script any better if it was going to turn out the way it did uh, Salming, who passed away on Thursday uh, following a short battle with ALS, was 71 years old. Did you have something you wanted to add on there, Sittler? Uh, no, no. I think the Salming, and we talked about this before when, when he had his ceremony, but he just represented a a shift in the NHL that it went uh, from a Canadian-dominated league. Like, I don't know what the exact numbers were, you know, 30, 40 years ago, but it's something crazy like it was, you know, 80, 90% Canadians, yeah, right? Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of people that were opening their arms a lot to of people, a lot of people players felt, from other countries. A lot of people felt that he was stealing the job of a Canadian player, essentially. And there wasn't a lot of respect for the style that was played. Um, it wasn't the North American way. It wasn't the NHL way. Even though Boria Salming was, like, tough as nails. Yes. And, and I remember watching the tribute and feeling... A little bit of awkwardness uh, or even guilt. Not that I was part of that. It was a long time ago for now. I wasn't even alive. But uh, on behalf of Canada that we treated these players that came over to play hockey in the NHL so badly and just like with such disrespect. And we essentially called them wimps. Yep. Right? And and Borea Salming was so far (laughs) from a wimp. But you think about how the makeup of the league has changed since Borea Salman came over and a lot of other you know, uh, uh, foreign players came over. It's just completely different now. And I think it's better for the game that it's an international game. Yeah, and I think when you talk about a lot of kids maybe didn't necessarily watch a lot of the younger generation that didn't know the NHL and the landscape of hockey at that time probably didn't realize how geographically centralized it was just with North American players, specifically with Canadians. Speaking of Canadians, I do want to go back to Qatar and do one more World Cup bit. We're kind of all over the map here and what's happened, but we're just trying to get through everything that happened yesterday. Peter Galindo is going to join us in about seven minutes. So I want to play some audio, and I want to go over the big story for Canada now, for better or for worse, going into this match against Croatia. And the entire storyline now comes down to two words, or as it is, a letter and a word, F Croatia. That has been the big talking point from the Canadian camp 
uh, yesterday, and then it probably will be again today when the players and Herdman do their media availabilities. For those that missed it, following an emotional 1-0 loss to Belgium in their first World Cup match in 36 years, a very passionate, very fired up, and very animated John Herdman was asked by uh, pitchside reporters what he said to his lads after the loss to Belgium. He responded by saying, I told them we're going to go F Croatia. Uh, that drew a lot of attention. That drew a lot of ire, apparently, from Croatian supporters and media. So yesterday, a Croatian reporter showed up at Herdman's media availability and asked, did you really say after last night's match that you were going to F-word Croatia? And if you did, is that with the understanding that Croatia was the runner-up at the last World Cup? Uh, Herdman took it in, and here's what he had to say in response. You're taking your men to that next place. You're taking your team to that next place that... We're here to, um, to be fearless and, and to bring everything we've got to that game. So, yeah, I mean, I mean no disrespect to uh, the Croatian team and Croatian people, but at the end of the day, it's a mindset that Canada's going to have to have if we're going to have three points against one of the top teams in the world. And it's the mindset we took to Belgium. We have to. It's, um, it's part of new Canada. So it is going to be very, very interesting to see how the Canadians handle the next 48 hours until kickoff 8 a.m. on Sunday against Croatia. I, I've read a lot and listened to a lot and watched a lot of the analysis and reaction to Herdman's remarks. Most people are leaning towards the camp of he shouldn't have said it. Yeah, that's where I am. Yeah. But I, but I don't argue with the job he's done with the team. I think he's done a terrific job. And, um, you know, the Mexican coach was saying that the most impressive performance he's seen so far is from Canada. Yep. And there's if, been a lot of people if that watched sub- that match Sorry. and a lot of people around the soccer world that watched that match and were very impressed with Canada. Now the unfortunate thing is that uh I bet Croatia watched. Right. <laughs> you see the the cover that they did one of their papers? No. Fully uh, naked John Herdman with a uh, maple leaf over his mouth and a maple leaf over Nether regions. Wow. And in, in Croatia? And yeah, there's a title mm-hmm. in Croatia. I'm trying to translate it as we speak, but uh, you don't you don't have natural. Does it say F this guy? <laughs> there's a yeah. part that's starred out and I can't figure out what the word in Croatian is. I'll I bet I know. <laughs> uh, okay, here's is, is this our first rivalry with Croatia? Apparently. <laughs> yeah, depending on what happens on Sunday, it might be our last because they are a good team. I'm yeah. not I'm gonna put this out there. Mm-hmm. I know that they looked pretty mediocre in their opener. I mean, you and I have been dealt blows by Croatia. Yes. Uh, Modric ended essentially not by himself but mostly by himself he ended england's world cup hopes and i thought you meant like personally in the last world cup oh you and i yeah (laughs) we can't go back to croatia (laughs) what happened please tell me the story (laughs) we can't go back we've been banned okay so with regards to herdman we'll ask peter galindo from sportsnet more about this we kind of set the table for the next segment but uh i suppose there is a counter argument to be made to a lot of these naysayers who said this was the wrong thing to do that if you trust in john then you trust in John, that you you assume that he knows exactly what he's doing here and that this wasn't just some sort of vitriolic, caught-in-the-moment, off-the-cuff remark that he's trying to make it out to be, which I found very interesting because here's the kicker to all of this. John Herdman didn't apologize for any of that, and John Herdman didn't walk it back. He said he realized he might have offended the Croatian national team and Croatian people, and that wasn't his intent, but the two words, I'm sorry, 
never got uttered. So we're going to be really interested to see what comes of it as we move forward and get closer and closer to Sunday. Uh, you ready to go to Peter Galindo? We will go on the other side to our good buddy, Peter Galindo from Sportsnet Live from Qatar, ahead of today's media availability, which should be an interesting one. Uh, that's coming up next. We got football talk. We got all kinds of other stuff on the show. And a reminder, it's Ask Us Anything Friday, so get them in now. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the Smalt Alternative. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Did you really say after last uh, night's match that you're gonna uh, F-word Croatia? Yeah, great question. And yeah, I did. 6.34 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Friday. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I love how Herman gave the, that's a great question that you asked me. Like, that's a really probing, you've thought about this question. Did I say F Croatia? So you know what they teach uh, when they do media training for athletes and such is they say the best thing to do when you don't have an answer at the ready and you want to give yourself a couple seconds mm -hmm. is either repeat the question back to someone in the form of an answer or the first thing you say is, man, that's a really great question. Those, I, I thought it was well, obviously. Well, that's that's the NHL version. Oh. Obviously, we gotta obviously do the obvious thing, but uh, obviously blowing uh, multi goal leads. Obviously, seven times this season. Obviously, that's that's an obvious issue for us. Obviously, obviously. Now, the interesting part is that people sometimes will say to us. That's a really great, great question. And then I want to pat myself on the back. But then I'm reminded they're lying. They're just trying to buy time. Yeah, they're, so just, they're just playing us. Yeah, they just want to come up with a halfway decent answer to this question that we pulled way out of left field. Anyway, things are getting spicy in Qatar for the Canadians. Uh, Bruff retweeted it. Visit him at, at Sad Club Kamish on Twitter. There is a, a Croatian tabloid. I suppose is the best way to classify it. And there is a picture. It's not an actual picture of a naked John Herdman. It appears as though his head has been superimposed on a naked body. Didn't give him the best body. Very skinny. <laughs> Very skinny. Uh, there is a maple leaf over his mouth and then another one over his nether regions, and as can, Laddie put it. Can, can we just mention that it is a very small maple leaf over his yeah, that's nether the, regions. That's the really brutal part. I feel like we probably should mention that, and I feel like that's probably not coincidental. Yeah, the headline, very small. The headline roughly translates to, uh, you've got the tongue, but do you have the balls? Right. And that, of course, is talking about his sharp tongue in saying F Croatia ahead of Sunday's match. And then wondering about the testicular fortitude mm -hmm. of uh, John Herdman and his group. So who better... To talk about all of this, then our man on the ground in Qatar, Sportsnet's Peter Galindo, now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Peter, of course, is part of our soccer report, brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm good. Very thankful to John Herdman for saying those comments and very thankful to that Croatian tabloid because all 23 players are training as normal. I would have had nothing to write about. Now he has 
dropped this golden nugget right on my lap. So it's the World Cup, and it's the biggest stage, and there are a lot of stories going on, and there's seemingly new stories breaking with every match. For example, what happened in Iran and Wales, that match this morning, a lot of stories coming from there. But how big a story, how big a spotlight has this become in light of, one, how impressive Canada was and how shocked a lot of people were by Canada in that match. And then two, the fact that Herdman went out and decided to issue this very verbal challenge of the runners-up from the last World Cup. Well, it's interesting because just when it seemed like the flames on this story were getting extinguished, that tabloid then reignites the flames, just adds kerosene to the fire. And I'm sure that, well, I mean, I'm certainly going to try and ask uh, some of the players after the, the session's done just what they think about, A, the comments from Herdman and whether that motivates the players, and B, just, you know, the thoughts on the fact that Croatia's now fought back with this newspaper cover. Um, because when I heard Herdman making the comments, the first thing that went through my mind was, okay, he's gone from channeling his inner Marcelo Bielsa with the high press, the man marking, mm-hmm. the, the intense pressing against Belgium to his inner Jose Mourinho with these comments <laughs> regarding Croatia. Because after the game, all the discourse was about the Alfonso Davies penalty. How come Canada just didn't have that killer instinct in front of goal, despite the 22 shots, the high expected goals, all that to solely these comments now. And I feel like that is a classic Mourinho tactic to kind of distract from that, but also simultaneously motivates the players, because as we have come to find out, Herdman is quite a strong motivator, and I'm sure that's maybe going to light a bit of a fire un- under the players, but it also puts the attention squarely on him. How does Croatia react tactically after seeing what Canada did to Belgium? I don't know if there's anything they really can do, because I don't imagine Belgium's going to, or sorry, Canada's going to replicate the same exact plan against Croatia because first of all Croatia is going to have a much superior midfield and if you try to go man for man against them and try to press them high and they also have very good ball playing center backs led by Jasko Gvardiol of RB Leipzig one of the best young center backs in the world these days you try to do that against them they are just going to pass their way around you and have you running in circles all night so I imagine they're going to adjust slightly in that regard, Canada. But what's interesting was watching that Morocco game and and Croatia from Wednesday morning, what I saw was in the first 15, 20 minutes, both sides were kind of going end to end and, and it was very much like a foot race. And then eventually Croatia, whenever they had opportunities to counter into space against Morocco, they didn't take them. And I found that very curious because Morocco is a youthful, very fast team, especially on the wings, very similar to Canada in that regard. So I'm wondering if not only will Canada replicate certain aspects of, of just kind of overloading the flanks and, and, and trying to utilize their pace out there because the Croatian fullbacks got absolutely no protection whatsoever um, against Morocco whenever they were in possession So I wonder if that's the case. And then also if Croatia gets opportunities to transition against Canada, if they're going to do the same thing and not really kind of show much impetus. So I don't know if you kind of explained it in that, but where is the opportunity 
against Croatia because you said their midfield is going to be better than Belgium's, which is crazy because Kevin De Bruyne. But uh, but like, so where is the opportunity for for Canada in this match? It's probably going to be in those wider areas because what was interesting, Borna Sosa and Josip Juranovic, the Croatian fullbacks in that game, got absolutely no help from their wingers whenever Morocco was attacking, whether it was in transition, whether it was just you know a normal build-up phase, what have you. And there was tons of space for overlaps, for Hakimi to exploit, for Mazraoui to exploit before he got hurt. And... I imagine just because Canada's strengths are on the wings and they have a lot of pace on the wings, they're probably going to utilize a similar plan in that regard. Um, And I also imagine they're going to try their patented, you know, kind of sprint down to the byline and then hit a cutback across goal for, you know, whether it's, I don't know if he starts, but Jonathan Osorio to kind of, you know, make that late run and have a shot. Um, I imagine that's going to be the strategy, but that's for sure going to be one area where I think Croatia could be quite susceptible. It's just simply put out wide. We're speaking to Sportsnet's Peter Galindo live from Qatar at the World Cup here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I will mention there has been some history just made at the World Cup as Qatar, the hosts, have scored their first ever World Cup goal coming in the 79th minute against Senegal. So it's now Senegal 2, Qatar 1 as Qatar tries to push to basically remain alive in this tournament. Peter, I want to go back to... um, not the Herdman comments so much, because I think we've dissected those enough, but what they mean and what his sort of strategy was here. And if it is indeed a, a, distra- a distraction or a smokescreen, uh, full marks to him, because I have noticed that outside of the initial reaction to the penalty decision, uh, it hasn't really been the focal talking point moving forward. Um, did it? Do anyone have a chance to really talk to the players that were on the pitcher, in particular Davies, and get their sense of feeling about it? Or was that story kind of pushed to the backdrop after everything that's happened over the last 24, 48 hours? They were able to discuss it slightly in that, you know, basically the whole, hey, this is a penalty by committee type uh, situation and that, hey, whoever feels like taking the penalty in that moment, you step up and take it, which Davies clearly wanted to do. Um, They're not going to really deviate from that, it seems, which, I mean, I guess it's understandable. Really, before yesterday, they were, I believe it was eight for nine on penalties in the last two or three years under Herdman. Now, obviously a much bigger stage than they're used to. Um, But I feel like because this was only the first time that we saw this situation play out on a stage as big as the World Cup, it's still a bit too early to kind of glean anything based on the small sample size. But it seems like they're kind of chalking it down to, hey, it was just one of those moments. Thibaut Courtois is a terrific goalkeeper. He read it well. um, And we'll just kind of go on to the next one and and, and hope that it kind of goes our way. Um, So, you know, I, I feel like they're not too fixated on that. They're more kind of fixated on, you know, we had all these chances after the penalty. We really should have put it away, and we just failed to kind of do that. I'm glad you brought up that last point there because it's what I was going to ask about next. Is uh, With further evaluation and maybe a rewatch from, uh, you know, those covering the event, how glaring was it Canada's lack of finish in front of net 
compared to what we've seen from some of these other teams where all they've needed is one chance or two chances to bury clinically. And then you go back and look at this, the, the numbers alone, 22 attempts on net and a penalty, uh, the first team ever to rack up those kind of statistics without scoring a goal. How glaring was Canada's lack of finish on rewatch and reanalysis? Well, that was what I asked Herdman in the post-match press conference was essentially, do you think that the next step in the team's evolution to becoming an elite team is to essentially have that cutthroat mentality in front of goal in those situations? And, you know, he kind of gave me two answers in that he didn't want to critique the players for the fact that they were able to accumulate those numbers. But he also did point out, you know, I think we were also trying maybe one pass too many. I think there were opportunities where, you know, maybe one decision should have been another. Um, and I do question if maybe the occasion got to the players because all they have been asked about in the lead up to that game is, hey, what are you going to feel like when you or if you score the first goal for the Canadian men's national team in World Cup history. And, and I'm sure in those moments, especially for Jonathan David, who has kind of made a point to, to say to us, like, yeah, I really want to score that first goal, if that kind of impacted his decision-making. Because, you know, the ball falls to you. You've, you've just had, you know, an emotional, you know, national anthem being played. You know, players are crying. And, and you step out onto the pitch, and these fans are just applauding you, standing on their feet and you get the ball that lands to you and you in your mind think, yeah, this is going to be the first goal in, in Canadian men's national team history at a world cup that has to come into to play when that happens. So I think now that that moment has kind of passed and that they saw how the game played out based on how this team has reacted historically, I think they're going to be pissed in a good way. And they're going to use that to basically use that as fuel to then go into the next game and make sure it doesn't happen again because never before have they made the same mistake twice in a row. Did Davies and David talk to each other before the PK? Because I, I just don't want this to turn into hard feelings. Do you know what I mean? Going forward? Right. They, it, it, because right now the narrative seems to be that Davies said, I'm picking up the ball, I'm taking this, and you know I I don't really care what anyone else thinks, but I've also read that maybe they had a little short discussion about it. Um, did you, in, in, in re-watching it and, and asking about it, how did the process actually play out? So it seems like when the penalty was awarded on VAR, I think even as it went to VAR, they were having a discussion because I was kind of paying attention because all of us in the media tribune were wondering, okay, who's going to step up and take this? Is it probably going to be Davies? Or is it going to be David? And there was a brief discussion, it looks like. Um, and then they kind of just reluctantly came to the decision, all right, Davies is going to take this. Um, and I say reluctantly in terms of, obviously, players are going to want to step up in that moment and take the penalty. But as soon as that decision's made, they're like, all right, it's yours. We stand by you. This is a brotherhood. Uh, whatever happens, happens. So, look, I'm sure in the moment the players, other players who wanted to step up would have liked to have obviously Mm -hmm. taken it. But I think at the end of the day, once the decision is made, it's kind of water under the bridge. Let's talk about uh, the group that's in action today. Um, Iran bounced back from a really, 
rough performance in so many ways, both on the pitch and off the pitch against England when they lost in their first match 6-2 to and they didn't sing the anthem and they still got booed. And this Iranian team really is between a rock and a hard place because – and the rock would be the you know their government and the hard place would be the protesters <laughs> that want them to be on their side in speaking out against the government. Um, today – I guess they mouthed the words to the anthem. They, they sang the anthem, but not super enthusiastically. And they came up with a very impressive, I would say, 2-0 win over Wales. Mm-hmm. Just your thoughts on uh, the experience that this Iranian side is having at this World Cup with everything that's playing out, the fact that it is in uh, the Middle East, this World Cup, and the fact that... There's a very real possibility that Iran could be playing the United States for a spot in the round of 16. Yeah, that's now that you've summed it all up, that's absolutely wild to, to kind of think that this is all happening. Um, it, it feels like the mood within Iran's camp is, is, is almost very mixed because on one hand, you got Carlos Kirosh, the coach, being asked all sorts of questions about the protests, he clearly is not happy about it, um, you know, giving some very peculiar answers to all those questions and demanding certain outlets to pay him for his answer, which, you know, is quite the approach. And then the players, who very clearly are super torn about the whole thing, because, listen, most of them, well, some of them, I should say, do play abroad, so I don't think they'll face full repercussions for, you know, whatever happens after the World Cup, but some of them do play domestically. And I'm sure that that's weighing on their minds a little bit here because there's immense pressure on the outside for them to do certain things. And then meanwhile, they are athletes and they're at, they're at a world cup in a group that is now fairly open here now that they've won. So I, I just feel like certainly from the outside and just speaking to, to a few um, Iranian fans here, it seems to be still a, a relatively like, I don't want to say it's an upbeat mood, but right. I, I feel like for now the fans as well as the players are almost looking at this of, all right, well, we now have an important game to play. we got to focus on that. But it's always hard to kind of put your mind on business when there's obviously much bigger issues at play here. Uh, and before we let you go, Peter, we'll stick with that group and talk about England-USA, which going into this tournament, once the draw was done, was regarded as one of the most compelling group matches of the opening round. And it happens today at 11 o'clock. A reminder, we're going to be doing a giveaway for tickets at the Hollywood Theater. Bruff and I'll it's England, it's USA. Uh, really quickly, set this up for our listeners, what they can expect. England comes in, top of the group with three points. The U.S. on one point after drawing with Wales in their opener. Well, I am going to be going, and that is going to be quite the game, I think, because both teams, they do play very proactively, so I do hope that we end up seeing similar things just for the entertainment purposes. Um, although, as you know, England or United States fans, you probably want to just see what's most effective. And what's interesting is there's a lot of chatter from American journalists that Greg Berhalter might actually rotate the 11, not just because there are five players on yellow card warnings for the U.S., okay. but because they traditionally, whenever they have played, well, I mean, I say traditionally, but really we've only had the one World Cup cycle to see this, but whenever they play three games in relatively quick succession, 
and they keep the, most of the same 11 or the same 11 for, for those three games, they always look absolutely gassed in the third game. So there's chatter out there that they might rotate for this England game. Whatever happens, happens. And then they're going to try to go for it against Iran with the full team. Now, if that ends up happening, that is a very bold strategy because then you're putting all your eggs in that basket on the final match day in what is probably going to be one of the most politically charged games we've seen in World Cup history. Uh-huh. So uh, I don't know how wise that would be if they end up going that route. Um, and then I feel like, you know, with England, you probably won't see too, too many changes um, because obviously if they get a win here, then they're, then they're pretty much clear and dry. So it's just going to be fascinating to see what happens when those 11s come out about, what, an hour before the game. Peter, great stuff as always. Thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the match tonight. That should be a lot of fun. And we will do this again uh, at some point, probably early next week. For sure. Looking forward to it, guys. Thank you. Thank you. That's Peter Galindo from Sportsnet, live from Qatar here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So a quick update from Qatar. Senegal now up 3-1 on the hosts. We mentioned in the middle of Peter's hit that Qatar did score that historic goal. They're now one up on Canada. So, they, so Qatar's got a goal at the World Cup and Canada has none. Damn it. Come on. Guys. Come on. Come on, guys. So anyway, it's now 3-1 Senegal, uh, and they are in added time. There's going to be six minutes of added. So that's pretty much it for Qatar. As unlikely as it World is, Cup. you guys, and I don't want to put this out there into the world. Yes. But what if Canada doesn't score in this tournament? Shut up. What are Greg. you guys going to do? Shut up, Greg. It'll be it'll be it, it, it'll be unbelievably disappointing. Calm down, like, Greg. It's soccer. Okay. Un, it'll it'll be it'll be a top five sports disappointment of my life if they don't score a goal. At this I don't know why I had to say it out loud. We've turned yeah. part. They're going to be in the next one. Relax. Yeah, Shut that's up, that's Greg. four years from now. You know, who knows? <laughs> they it would be nice to get one. So what Peter was talking about there with the tactics at the end, um, that's very much why teams want to get out on the front foot in their opening match Mm -hmm. is because psychologically and in terms of resting, having three points in the bag after your first match just is so profoundly different than having to fight and scratch and claw, which I go back to Canada is why it was a massive disappointment that they got nothing goals Points, wins, results, and they got nothing from that match explain, against Belgium. Explain for the listeners really quickly, because we got to get to Brady Henderson in a few minutes, talk some Seahawks. Uh, explain for the listeners very quickly why it's an issue for the Americans that they're heading into this game today against the English with five yellow cards from that Wales game. Two, two yellow cards, you set out a match, right? It's, it's pretty cut and dry. They, so if any yellow, of those players get a yellow today, they have to miss the Iran match. Match, yes. The Iran match. Yes. The Iran match. That's happened so many times on this show. I it's incredible. We, we talked about, yeah, because there was going to be an Iran match at BC Place. <laughs> That's right. Um, so what will happen is if the thing that Peter was talking about is maybe they pull some guys back and save it for Iran. Um, it's one, it's great that you'll have those players available for that very decisive match, but then you run the risk mm-hmm. of you pick up your second yellow. Now you can't play in the round of 16. It's very, very difficult. Like in the, in a short tournament like this with as stringent as the cautions and red card accumulation rules are, you have to, like, you can't just throw away yellows. That's right. why yeah. when you were talking about the armband fiasco with FIFA, not letting certain federations have their captain wear, uh, an emblazoned armband of their political or messaging choosing. They said, if you step on the pitch with it, it's going to be a yellow. 
Now, at first nod, you'll say, well, that's not that big of a deal. It's not like you're sending off. Just take your yellow. But it becomes profoundly important if you, one, pick up your second in the match, or two, pick up one heading into a knockout round or a quarterfinal or a semifinal. It is a very, very risky thing. And that's why with five yellows in that first match for the U.S. against Wales, uh, it really does alter your entire perception of how you want to address things moving forward. Brady Henderson, talk about some Seahawks. They're in action this weekend. Coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.